Yo, 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 Big Dean, back with a UFC 283 preview on the Big Dean Podcast. Part 1, bring in my UFC buddy. Please subscribe, like, and share the Spunky Spectrum Sports YouTube page. See all my content. There will be some NFL content before the week is up. Also, check out the Big Dean Podcast for all your audio listeners on Spotify and Apple. So, uh... The UFC is making its uh, triumphant return to uh, Brazil for the first time in nearly three years. And uh, to talk about UFC 283 taking place in uh, Rio, my friend Billy Ward. Billy, uh, uh, UFC back in Brazil. That finally makes sense, right? Yeah, you know, like you said, it's been a while. And as usual with some of these pay-per-views, when they go to places... They don't spend a lot of time in ton of debuting local fighters. So that'll make it an interesting one from a DFS and gambling standpoint, you know, trying to get a read on some of these guys where we just don't have a ton of tape. A lot of them weren't even contender series. So. Well, we do have a, we do have a lot of tape on the uh, main event, which is for the vacant light heavyweight title between Glover Teixeira and Jermichael Hill. And, uh, by the way, before we talk about the main event, can we finally have a two hundred five pound champ? Because how how many times do you have a draw in a five round in a five round fight? I know it was just. I feel like there's some weird curse of Yuri here, where we all know he's the real champion, and uh, you know, trying to strip him of it because he got hurt just ca- cast a shadow over the whole division. But I think we'll be okay this time. Neither Jamal Hill nor Glover Teixeira really see a lot of judges in their career, and I don't expect that one to change here. Yeah, thinking back to uh, Glover's last fight where uh, we were t- where I think he fought uh, y- Yuri, right? Yuri, yeah. And despite being 42 years old and being probably out, out man, out class, I think Glover put up a good account for himself in his first title defense. Yeah, you know, but the the only thing we thought wouldn't happen in that fight was Yuri submitting the much older, you know, more experienced grappler. And of course, that is what happened. Now, it's not like he outworked him with technical jujitsu and, you know, did a fancy back take. No, they just beat the hell out of each other. And Yuri had a little bit more left in the tank. But, you know, that's about the longest we've seen Glover fight in a long time. This one is somewhere north of minus 600 to go to a decision or to not go to a decision. So, like I said, very unlikely the judges get involved in this one. Yeah, and then uh, with Jermichael Hill, it seems, it seems like he's the next guy potentially, depending on what happens on Saturday night, to potentially fight Yuri when he comes back from his shoulder injury. Yeah, you know, I, I've been talking about Jamal for a long time. I'm actually good friends with his coach. Shout out to Johnny Grigware, Touch Him Up University. You know, Jamal's a Michigan guy like me. We came up fighting a lot of the same places. Actually have some opponents in common, despite him being considerably bigger than I ever am or was. But, you know, Jamal, I've been saying this, I think even on your podcast, other places, he probably has the best pure boxing in MMA right now, certainly in the division, if not in MMA. You know, he's a guy who's built for going late in fights because he doesn't work really hard. He's not out there throwing a ton of volume, but everything is precise. Everything is smooth and easy. You know, he's got a real high fight IQ. We worried about him getting submitted again after that Paul Craig fight. I think he learned a lot from that one where Craig kind of just pulled guard. Jamal was more than willing to engage. Got his arm broken, tried to, you know, beat Craig over the head with his broken arm. 
So this is not a guy who's going to quit on anyone. And, you know, he's younger. He's got reach. He's got height. He's more athletic. He's comfortable getting into deep waters. So, honestly, unless Glover pulls off a real quick submission here, you know, catches him unaware early on, I don't see a path to Glover here. I think Jamal's going to outlast him, just continue to touch him up, as they say, eventually find the knockout. And, you know, even if it does end up being a very surprising decision, which I don't think is going to happen, I'm seeing late knockout from Jamal Hill here. Excellent DraftKings piece at 8,400. Like the betting lines at, you know, minus 115 to minus 130 range, depending on where you're getting at. Like the inside the distance, you know, you're not getting a great premium on that, but this one probably doesn't see the judges. And if you think Jamal's going to become the new champion, at least until he fights Yuri, like I do, might as well take the inside the distance line. Yeah, to me, I think the only way to share wins this fight is if he submits because uh, because I don't think Glover could could trade with Hill. That 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 typically doesn't go well for two hundred five pounders. Yeah, you know, and Glover's got big power. They always say you know power is the last thing to go. For anyone who saw Rocky Balboa, they're you know bringing the old guy out trying to build some hurting bombs. Glover's got those hurting bombs, but Hill's striking. It, it's just the most intelligent striking I've seen in a really long time. <laughs> kind of in the vein of Israel Adesanya or even, you know, uh, Anderson Silva back in the day where he's just smart. You know, he stays out of trouble. He knows what his opponents are bad at. He's left-handed. He's long, both of which are real awkward. I don't think Glover really catches him, just given the speed and youth and all of that. But, you know, the one thing towards the submission, I was talking to his coach not too long ago, and Jamal was telling people before the Paul Craig fight, he wanted to grapple with that guy. He wanted to show he had better jujitsu. I think Jamal just got his purple belt. That's not really, you know, going to mess with Glover Teixeira on the ground kind of levels. And since then, he's been real smart about avoiding those positions. Glover's going to have to actually work to take him down. Jamal's not going to give it to him if he pulls guard. I think he's learned enough from that fight. I think that was the perfect, you know, one loss on your way up the ladder that we see a lot of these guys have. And, you know, I wouldn't be shocked if it's a long reign. He matches up well with Yuri, too, if that eventually does happen. Ankalaev is a little bit tougher if they make that one in between, but we're getting ahead of ourselves. Yeah, we're thinking, we're thinking a little bit too far out of range. So we both like Hill to win by knockout. Uh, I just, I'm, I am intrigued by whether or not this is because we always talk about in cash, like you play both guys in a championship fight. I mean, is that the same strategy this week? Because we've got double championship fights again. So uh, how's the mathematics going to change that this week? Yeah, this one's really tough. It's also different now with late swap. So, you know, my biggest mistake in my DraftKings MMA career was not playing both Glover and Yuri in the first round of the championship last year. Because I looked at those stoppage odds, I said, this one's going to end early. I don't know who it's going to be, but, you know, figured it'd be Yuri. There's no way the loser puts up points here. I think both those guys went over 100, or Glover was close, even in a loss, if not. I don't think we're going to see that kind of fight again. I don't. I think we'd be overfitting the model a little bit. Yeah, he had 107 in a loss, which is just insane. But Jamal is not a guy who's going to get in there and brawl. He's not going to trade. He's not going to get taken down a bunch of times and get back up. If he gets taken down, he might be in trouble. I don't think he does get taken down. Also, just like last time, we have another title fight on this card, which we'll get to in a minute. But the other title fight is 225 pounders, you know, traditionally faster work rates, traditionally more likely to go 25 minutes. 
So I, I'm leaning here and, you know, subject to change, I'm leaning playing Jamal Hill in the main event and then both Brandon Moreno and Davison Figueredo in the co-main. I think that's probably the sharper play here. But again, now with late swap, we can start that way, check out ownership, say, oh, I'm behind. I might have to pivot off one of these guys to the other. So there's a lot of different strategy angles. Well, you mentioned the well, you mentioned the co-main event, and it's actually the 125. I think that's a flyweight division. Flyweight. Yep. Well, the uh, how about this UFC's first ever tetralogy trilogy, but it's a tra- wait tetralogy. That, that would be a tetralogy, like Tetris. Tetralogy. Mm-hmm. But for the between them. Um, Devison Figueredo and Brandon Moreno. And uh, this is going to decide things because both guys are 1-1 and 1 against each other. One win, one loss, one draw. You know, I swear someone was just telling me we don't see many five-round draws. And here we we are talking about another one three minutes later. No, you're you're right, of course, as a rule. That's not something we see a lot of. I believe the Davy Figs Brandon Moreno draw was actually because of a point deduction, not because of however the hell they arrived at it in the Ankalaev uh Jan Blachowicz fight. But still, yeah, I mean it couldn't be closer between these guys. If we're gonna give anyone a slight lane, I think it would be Brandon Moreno just because he has the only finish. Davison Figueredo's decision though was pretty close to as dominant as Brandon Moreno's finish, so it's not a huge edge. You know, from a DFS standpoint, just play both guys. We're not overthinking this one. Ton of action between the two of them. You know, we can look up how many points they scored in those fights, but like, you know, Moreno in a loss, or uh, Figueredo in the draw still scored 68 points. When he got finished, he only scored 19, so we're kind of banking on not having a finish this time. But if it goes 25 minutes, both guys are going to give you decent scores. That's from a DFS standpoint. Now, if you want to bet this one, that's where things get a little tricky. Obviously, pretty close uh, betting lines here. I'm trying to pull this up right now, what we got. But it's like, I think, minus 120 or so, minus 110 has been bouncing back and forth. The only real angle I have on that is, you know, Brandon Moreno was a James Krause guy, obviously not still training with him. That's a lot of disruption. That's a lot of change, you know, right before the biggest fight of his life. I think I'd give Figueiredo a slight edge there. He's also home in Brazil, might get a little home cooking from the judges. Brazilian judges are famously not the most unbiased judges out there. So I'm probably not going to bet this one myself. But if I was going to, I think I'd go Figueiredo. Plus, he's coming. Plus, Figueiredo won the last fight between these guys last January. So he's got momentum. He, he might have a better understanding of fighting Marino and a lot of the momentum from the Brazil crowd first time because the last Brazil. Brazil event didn't have fans because it took place right when COVID started or really started three years ago. Yeah. And honestly, you know, we, we talk a lot, you know, if you listen to MMA podcasts or read articles or all this stuff, a lot of people will say, Oh, you know, it's in France. So we got French judges. It's in Texas. They got Texan judges. We, it really doesn't work that way for the most part. They bring in judges. that's supposed to be unbiased. What I think happens is a lot of these times, you know, the hometown favorite guy will land a jab and the crowd freaks out. Whereas the, you know, visitor fighter lands bigger shots, the crowd doesn't really react. And over the course of 15 or 25 minutes, the judges get kind of tricked into thinking that 
the hometown guy is doing more just because he's getting this big reaction from the crowd. You know, we talk about it in other sports where most of home field advantage in other sports is the fans subconsciously influencing the officials. I think it's probably the same thing here, which is a really long-winded way of saying that if this goes to a decision, you're going to be real nervous holding a Brandon Moreno ticket, and you're going to be real confident with that Davey Figs. Yeah, because I remember I remember not a UFC, but a boxing fight between, I think, with Jeff Horn and Manny Pacquiao, when Manny Pacquiao clearly won the fight, and yet all three judges gave Horn the win by unanimous decision. And I'm like, what? Yeah, I mean, boxing's a whole different story because of the way their commissions work and just, you know, historically, a lot of issues with corruption in boxing that, for the most part, we've avoided in MMA. Not entirely, for a lot of reasons. But I still think, you know, one way to play this one, too, which is always an option on DraftKings, you can bet on a fight where you it only counts if it's a finish or it only counts if it's a decision, and you get your money back either way. You know, I'm kind of talking myself into it. I might bet that Davis and Figueredo decision only line. Usually you pay a little bit of a premium on it. It might be minus 130 instead of minus 110. But that way, if either guy gets finished, you get your money back. No harm, no foul. But if it goes to a decision, then your bet counts. And, you know, we don't really see Moreno getting a decision here unless he absolutely dominates him. So strategy, probably play both guys and just have at it. Because if this fight goes anywhere in round, if this fight goes 25 minutes, both guys could put up 200 points. Yeah, I think if it goes 25 minutes, you're almost guaranteed 200 between the two of them. I shouldn't, I mean, the only time that didn't happen in their 25-minute fight was the draw, but that's because neither fighter got the win bonus, which is, you know, 30 less points than we would normally expect, so. 200 might be a stretch, but 180 for sure. Okay, so so uh, other than the two title fights, which fight or fights are you looking forward to seeing? I mean, there's a ton. I'm because I'm a weirdo. I'm a big Paul Craig fan. I just like these guys who they're really good at one thing. They're kind of bad at everything else, but they're going to try their damnedest to make you do one thing. And he's fighting Johnny Walker. He's kind of a weird, unorthodox guy himself. That one is almost a must for your DFS lineups. It's probably going to end up as more likely than not to, or it's going to have minus odds on the under one and a half is my guess. So this one's going to be a quick finish. Walker is a million times better striker. Paul Craig is a million times better grappler. Paul Craig doesn't care. He'll pull guard. He'll pull you into mount and figure it out from there. He'll do whatever he needs to do. I think Johnny Walker, you know, he's not traditionally a guy we think of as high fight IQ, going to fight smart, do things. I think he's going to rush in at some point when he thinks he has Craig hurt. Craig will pull him down to the ground, either, you know, ground and pound or submit him there. That's my lean, but, man, I'm not making a tournament lineup without each, without at least one of those guys. I'm also not making a cash lineup with either one of those guys because whoever loses could have two points. Like, he could have nothing. So, you know, great tournament fight, awful cash game fight. That's a big one. Um, you know, Gilbert Burns versus Neil Magny. I think a lot of people are going to be on Gilbert Burns. I'm pretty confident Burns is going to win. I don't think he ends up with as great of a score as people are hoping. Magny is a long, awkward guy. People don't really, you know, beat him up badly. He kind of just, when he loses, it's tough fights where he slowly loses and the other guy gets the better of him. So interested from a fan standpoint, staying away from that for DFS, when I think a lot of people are probably going to go heavy on that. You know, we've got Jailton Almeida as like a minus one billion favorite. That's one you probably just find a way to get him in your lineups. 
Uh, G-Rod, Hobo Cop, as they call him in Brazil. I think that one's a little bit scarier than people are giving it credit for. You know, we've seen Rodriguez have a little bit of issues with his chin in the past, and Bruno Fajay will just level people. But it's another one. Tremendous tournament fight. Not so good. Not so good for cash games. So if I'm over on Fantasy Labs and building lineups, I might have a rule where I've got, you know, one of Walker Craig and one of Hobo Cop Fajaya. Just kind of see what happens, see what it comes up with there. Yeah, just by the way, uh, how much do you usually play play for a UFC event for a non-pay-per-view any pay-per-view? Well, this is an interesting question. As you and I were talking about last week, all of a sudden they didn't have all our usual cash games up. Don't remind me because it was like 11 person line, like 34 full person lineups. I'm like, what the heck is going on? But what, what got me there is I joined a bunch of those, but those were not guaranteed to run. So when those didn't fill, they just got canceled. And I think I originally entered like $300 or so worth of cash games. And then when it started, it was down to like 20 bucks or something like minimal because anything that didn't fill, they just canceled the contest. So my normal idea is I enter every single entry double up they have, which is usually, I don't know, 150 bucks worth. Try to do like $50 a head to heads, which I really don't like for their own sake. But that way, for 50 bucks, you get 50 lineups, which helps you towards the achievements, you know, the underdog achievements or the fast finisher. So if you have one underdog win in that lineup, it's times 50 because of all those cash games or head to heads, throw those out there. And the tournament just really depends on the selection. Like, this time around, they've been weirder with the satellites for the uh, or the qualifiers for the championship, where they've really only had like real high dollar stuff on most cards. Then every once in a while, a twenty five or a forty will pop up, and I'll enter four or five lineups in that. So I don't really have a normal plan, just because DraftKings keeps changing things around a little bit. You know, we could of course go play on FanDuel, but they're just going to cancel all the contests anyway. So. <laughs> I knew you were going to say something about FanDuel because I'm, I don't know what it is, but like the NFL, UFC, what is going on with like all this FanDuel stuff? Because I've never seen, because I, I don't think I've ever seen a website just like cancel its contest because, because of something like this ever. Yeah. And, you know, not to get too deep into the industry here, but FanDuel really wants to be a sports book. They, I think, have realized to an extent they've lost the DFS war to DraftKings. They're going to keep throwing contests out there just because there's no risk if you're an operator on DFS. You collect a rake. It doesn't matter who wins. It doesn't matter if you put a bad line or bad salaries up. There's no risk. But they really want to be a sports book, right? They're the biggest sports book in America. I kind of prefer their interface a lot of ways in betting over DraftKings. I, I think they're probably sharper on lines a lot of the times. But they're just not that focused on DFS. And what it sounds like is a lot of these contests that were supposed to be, you know, if it was supposed to be 100 entries, they somehow let 110, 120 people sign up, which obviously breaks everything. People are going to be mad. And rather than figure it out, they just refunded everyone, which bad look, but better than running a contest and taking money from people when you've taken more money than you said you were going to and your odds of winning are lower. Yeah, and, pl and plus, if you have more entries than then original seeds it confuse it messes up the rate because like DraftKings or FanDuel will get a certain percentage of the entry fees back. Right. Real quick to anyone who's listening who hasn't, Roto Grinders, which is owned by the same parent company as Action Network, they have an awesome browser extension. It's like the DFS tools. I don't know. You can find it in the tools on their website. 
but it'll show you the rake and the overlay right in your browser for every contest you're scrolling over, which is really helpful. And, you know, you were asking about contests and what I play. It's really helpful to just see right in your face. Okay, this one's raked at 13%, but this other one's only 10%, and it's a similar contest. So the super useful. Everyone should have that. Like, if you're playing DFS at all, there's absolutely no reason not to have that. does a ton of other cool stuff, too. But By the way, before we uh, sign off here, I do want to ask you about uh... – Francis Nagano, the reigning UFC uh, heavyweight champ, uh, exiting the sport. Uh, what do you? Uh, when you found out the same news I did, what did you think? I wasn't surprised. It seemed like if he was going to resign, he was going to. I don't know that he's exiting the sport. He's exiting the UFC. Or exiting the UFC. Right. I honestly, I think this is a tremendous move for fighters you know it sounds like that interview he did with helwani he was saying he wanted them to be able to have their own sponsorships back which was a huge source of income that the ufc took away he wanted them to have health insurance he said i can afford it but these guys making 12 grand on the undercard they can't that would prevent a lot of this stuff like we saw the whole betting scandal with the guy coming in with an injury he had to take that fight because he doesn't have health insurance if it happens in the cage then he gets it fixed really like what francis was doing there I think, you know, if we see anyone, it seems increasingly like it'll be the PFL who can really compete with the UFC to sign fighters, even if they're not paying as much just by letting them have sponsorships and some of those other benefits. That's a good thing because then the UFC has to pay their guys more, benefits everyone. You know, selfishly, what I'd really like to see is him go take a boxing match, maybe win a PFL tournament, whatever, for the next year. Come back to the UFC once we've sorted out who the heavyweight champion is and then really settle it in a year or so. I don't know how likely that is to happen. I think it's pretty low chances right now. I think if the UFC starts losing a lot of free agents and people, you know, are slowly paying more attention to the PFL or Bellator or one or whatever else, maybe, you know, they come back with a bigger offer. How much do the uh, top five, how much do the top fighters make for a, a pay-per-view called like how much would, how much would Teixeira and Hill make for the main event of the of UFC 283? That's the problem. We don't know. You know, Dana White came out and said we offered uh, Francis the biggest heavyweight deal ever. People said, well, how much was that? I don't know. It's not public anymore. Even when it was public, it didn't include a lot of stuff. The one thing we do know is that if you're fighting for a title or the main event of a pay-per-view you get a certain percentage of the pay-per-view sales. I think they get a dollar for the first 300,000 buys and, and then like $2 each after that or something like that. And that makes up the bulk of the money for those guys at that level. The last I saw when it was mandatory to disclose, like California forces them to release the salaries. I think the guys were getting either like 250 or 400,000 flat. But Compared to the pay-per-view, you know, a big pay-per-view, they might make many millions on top of that. I know Lesnar said at one point he made $8 million at most, which is great. That's a ton of money, obviously. You or I would do that once. We'd never have to work again. But look at what guys are making in boxing. Look at what, you know, Anderson Silva gets paid to box Jake Paul, and he's making more than the vast majority of fighters. So, Oh, how much Floyd Mayweather and Conor McGregor got paid to fight each other? Right. So, you know, when you put it in those terms, is Francis going to make way more money if he goes and boxes Tyson Fury or somebody like that? Yeah. And honestly, what's to stop him from boxing Tyson Fury? Probably losing, if we're being honest. 
then resign him with the UFC for however much they want to give him per fight and whatever deals he negotiated. I don't see any reason he couldn't do that. And also, it might not just be helping himself, but helping the other guys. Because you imagine the one, the twenty-one-year-old fighter making 15, twelve and twelve to start, 10, 12 grand might have a few more benefits coming his way. Yeah, you know, knowing some of the guys who snuck into the UFC before the sponsorships were taken away, every single one of them told me they make more money with their, you know. Toyo tires patch then they get paid from the ufc so that's a big one i think that's the one that i don't think we're going to see the ufc pay significantly more anytime soon just because of the monopoly they have i think if pfl takes enough of their high profile fighters away that we could see sponsorships come back probably not to the extent it was before where everybody's got the condom depot thing on their butt and 17 other sponsorships but if they say okay you get two or three spots that you can sell yourself I, I think that would probably be a compromise that isn't super unlikely at this point. And also, and also get more sponsors and fans watching the UFC. So we all win. Yeah. I mean, I don't know if that would make anyone watch. Like I don't, I'm not going to watch because a guy does or doesn't have, you know, the P3 protein snack on their sports. <laughs> I don't, I don't really care about that on a personal level, but you know, if you remember, they used to even get to bring their big banners into the cage and hang them over during the introductions, and they'd have, you know, 15 sponsor spots sold. And they weren't making a ton, but you make three or four grand off 15 spots, okay, that's 50 grand where the UFC might be paying you 12. Yeah, four times the, four times the salary and the same amount of fun. Yeah, and it doesn't, you know... I it didn't take anything away from me either. Like Dana saying, Oh, it looks unprofessional. All this. Like, did you really care? Were, were you not going to watch a fight? Cause Brock Lesnar has Jimmy Johns on his shorts. Like, I don't, it didn't, I don't know a single human being alive who cared at all about that. Other than apparently Dana White, when he wants to lie to you for a reason to take money away from fighters. All right, Billy. Uh, thanks for hopping on today to uh, review to uh, preview the first UFC pay-per-view of the season. We hope things go well, and hopefully uh, we'll chat soon. Yeah, should be a good one. And honestly, as much as I'm rooting for my buddy Jamal Hill and fellow Michigan fighter Cody Stamen on the undercard, what I'm really, really rooting for here is for us to know who the champion is in about four days. That, <laughs> that's, all, all we, that's all we need, right? Amen.